previously on Box Cutters. Uh, I just for the record, I have been to to two other countries since we uh, since we stopped. I watched no television in either of them except for a, a show in China uh, that was called something like Friendly Goat and Big Big Walt or Wolf. Hard to read. It was weird font. It's like in that uh, monkey font. Yeah, everything in China is in that monkey font. It's uh, a, a kids show about a terrifying sheep that a goat that looks like a sheep. Uh, and and some giant guy in a zoot suit or something. It was weird. Weird. I just, let's not talk about it. Can I quickly say that you very kindly brought me back puffy stickers from that series? That's more to prove it was real, though, I think, because that yeah. story was heading towards, and I woke up in a bar full of ice. And, my kid <laughs> my kid was, and there, there, was, there was a story that, uh, that ended up with the, the, the punchline is, I didn't get a watch, but I do have both my kidneys. Huh. That's, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Adventures in China with Josh Canal. Until next... No, wait, we should do the show. Hello and welcome to Box Cutters, episode 330. I've been to China. My name is Josh Canal. To my left, John Richards. Hello, listener. To my right, Brett Cropley. Good evening, viewers. Yeah, it's been so long, I forgot how this thing works. For a second, I wasn't sure I was going to get it right. It is is all about television, and there is so much to talk about. Thank you for all your emails concerned about uh, when or whether we were coming back. Uh, We are. It's now. Hello. Hi. To be fair, though, those only happened in the last week. I think people are quite happy for us to be away for the first month or so. (laughs) Thank God those guys have just shut up. I did see some terrible, terrible television during the break. Mm -hmm. We'll talk about that another time. Uh, For now, though, we've got Nelly Thomas coming in to talk about My Kitchen Rules versus MasterChef. We've got uh, a discussion about Girls Season 2. This is part one of the Girls... This is more discussion about... The way the girls is being discussed. But next week, I believe, we'll actually be having a discussion. Well, next, next week we'll talk about the show. Uh, now we're going to talk about everything around the show. Sort of. Sort of. Yeah. Uh, we also have one thing, of course. Uh, and, and, how happy am I that we have Cherry on top with Brenna Courtney Glazebrook. How's, oh. How was your break, Brenna? It was lovely, but I missed you guys. Liar. No, come on. I liked at least three of your statuses on Facebook in our two months apart. So, no lies. That's that's good to know. It's good to know you can still show affection. (laughs) With a a simple cyber thumbs up. That's all we need. As always, though, we're going to kick things off with the Box Cutters News. I was really worried, Brett, that we weren't going to have much news for, for this episode because it's, it's Oscars, summer. There's not it's much going Oscars on. week, it's summer, there's so. not much going on. And then last night, or no, so yes, yesterday, yesterday morning as we're recording this, so Sunday morning, news from Saturday night that James Warburton had been sacked from Channel 10, having just come back from his garden, gone into Channel 10 sacked because Channel 10 is underperforming. And by mm. underperforming, we mean atrocious figures that are just so sad you wouldn't even put a blanket over them to make them feel better. It'd just be a waste of a blanket. 
That's a common phrase. So uh, James Corden has been has been sacked. He had only been in the job for a year. Uh, he was apparently just a, a wunderkind at seven. Mm-hmm. Everyone thought he was going to do great, great things for Channel Ten. Where did he go wrong, Brett? Uh, he didn't get people to watch his shows. <laughs> Sorry. In, insightful. Uh, I so want to see your seven thirty report now. I think that'd be brilliant. <laughs> well, I mean, clearly, that was the problem. He he failed to do his job well, and now he is gone. Well, I mean, there's there there are some that are that are kind of questioning uh, whether it was about him and the way he was doing his job, or uh, having to keep uh, certain board members at Channel Ten uh, happy, or or uh, dealing with their interference. How much of this though is? I mean, how much of this is just the fact that TV is dead? Which we all know. Like, we all know as a, as, a, as a broadcast format, it's dead. Glee. Can I point out that Glee... Do you remember when Glee was, like, the biggest thing in the entire world? Yeah, ever? it's massive. And last week it got shifted off onto multi-channels because it was rating, like, 200,000. And mm-hmm. that was, the year before, the biggest show in the entire world. And the audience drop-off for that is so abrupt and so immediate and not like we have seen in previous, you know, years of, of broadcast. How much is Channel 10 just... The canary in the bath, as the famous old saying. <laughs> well, well, they do like to bathe canaries at, at Channel Ten, uh, and that's probably the, where, where it comes from. That was their second mistake. That, that was their second mistake. <laughs> I, I think we'll we'll hear later on with uh, with Nellie Thomas. You know, one of the things that Channel Ten has really been hoping for was that uh, Master Chef, the professionals, would be a savior for for Ten. And they had a huge marketing campaign for it. Bus shelters all around the country had pictures of the angry Englishman and the uh, and and the pompous cravat wearer. Brought it in early so that they would have an audience once the ratings start. And then My Kitchen Rules started, and everybody just went, "Master, what now?" Mm-hmm. But this is my question: Do we really think nine and seven are doing that much better? I mean, I read that the article claimed that ten, one of the ten's uh, mistakes if you will, was to try and actually go for a specific audience rather than everybody in the whole world ever, which is what Seven and Nine have been arguing over for all this time. And they used to be very successful because Channel 10 had a younger demographic, mm-hmm. they spent more, they got more advertising. Mm-hmm. The claim in, in the article we had, which I forget where that was from. Financial Review. Financial That's Review. It. Was that uh, those audiences have gone to multi-channel, so Go has taken that audience. But the thing is, I don't think those... I mean, I think those audiences have gone entirely forever. Like, I don't think they've gone to another broadcast channel. I think they're watching it at home on DVD and download. And going after everyone in the whole world ever, which they were claiming in that article was still a good approach, which is a terrible approach, which is what 9 and 7 are doing. Surely, eventually, those people will die and everyone else will have gone already to download on DVD. So what, what is... I mean, why, why are we singling Channel 10 out here? Channel 10 are... The, as you said, they're the uh, the clean faces in the coal mine or something. Yeah. They're the first to get dirty. The clean film on the bucket. Yeah. It's the first to get dirty. Yeah. Uh, they're, they, they are the... Everyone's, everyone's looking at them and going, oh, well, if they can fall over, having been so profitable not that long ago, if they can fall over, then there but for the grace of government intervention go go we and the 
and, and that is that is part of it. The the networks were forced to go from just providing one channel to providing three channels with the same amount of income. So the government has has screwed them to to a large extent. Which was the, the system that was brought in to benefit existing media holders by yeah. Howard. Yeah, so they screwed themselves by lobbying for it, and then the government screwed them by agreeing to it. You know, the, the government's job is to basically stop people from harming themselves, and they should have been, uh, they, they should have had enough foresight, and probably should have done a, a bit more due diligence into what would make the Australian television industry survive a, a troubling time. And instead, they've just set it up to fail. So I think that's. A, I think that is a large part of what's happening here. People are seeing Channel 10 failing and realising all the eyeballs are going. What can we do? And I don't think My Kitchen Rules is the answer because uh, there's only so many of these shows that, uh, that, that we can really live with. You would think. You would think, but well, still they keep on coming out. Yeah, but I, I think it's I think it's diminishing returns. Uh, Channel Nine uh, announced this week that uh, they're doing castings for uh, the new series of Big Brother. Is that going to be Is that going to be worth watching? Are people I, really? I, I, I didn't even bother to look at uh, the last season. Did it, did it actually rate well? Look, it it rated okay, uh, but. Higher than 200,000. Yeah, high, higher than 200,000. Yep. But it's, is it the television that people want to see? What what do people actually want to see? Or what is actually going to be worthwhile in the medium itself? That brings us to the announcement earlier this week that SBS2 is relaunching itself. And what had that been previously? Was that just news uh, from overseas? Were they playing films on SBS Two? My it memory was, seems to be that the films had ended up on to the foreign language movies, but I, I could be wrong. It was. It was where they had all of their foreign language stuff because SBS One no longer had any, and uh, and so all of that moved to SBS Two, which now has, according to an article in Mumbrella. Uh, SBS2 is going to aim itself at thinking 30-somethings. Mm-hmm. So so people, they're looking at 19 to, to 39 as, as their demographic, but really going towards thinking 30-somethings do they exist? for their market. They do. Really? They do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those of us still in our 30s, Brett Cropley, uh, will tell you that we do exist. Uh, but but we're a rare breed. <laughs> what do you mean we, white man? <laughs> he just... Have you ever seen a man in more denial, John Richards? <laughs> have you ever? Uh, so so they're, they're going to have shows like The Pitch, which is a, an AMC uh, documentary reality series where uh, they follow several uh, several advertising companies all pitching for the same job. This is one show that I looked at the first episode of and, and couldn't make it through that far over the summer. They're also going to show Skins. And Weirdest, though, Community. And Community. Which I don't quite get. And also, doesn't Has that... Channel 9 had that previously? Uh, Go, yes. I think, had it. Because I was Go saying, doesn't it. this just make SBS2 Go? Like, it, it seems quite Go-ish. And that brings into question, well, what what is... What is the purpose of SBS? 
Why does why does SBS exist? It's special broadcasting, Josh. It's a special broadcasting service. Special in in what way? Special for thinking, multicultural for, for thinking thirty somethings. Because I can tell you, thinking thirty somethings are downloading shit and watching it on their own whenever they bloody well want. That's what thinking mm-hmm. thirty somethings are doing. SBS. So as far as special goes, what like contribute to the to, to meeting the communication needs of Australia's multicultural society. Yes, you, you, you're that's one that? of the things, uh, including ethnic, Aboriginal, and Torres Strait Islander communities, especially them. Oh, communities. <laughs> so that that covers community, uh, like uh, increase awareness of the contribution of a diversity of cultures to the continuing development of Australian society. Mm-hmm. Uh, American English cultures right. contributing to our society. Mm-hmm. Promote understanding and acceptance of cultural, linguistic, and ethnic diversity of the Australian people. Some of those English people have accents. <laughs> Make use of Australia's diverse creative resources. Well, I think I think they're creative in uh, in resourcing shows that have been on other networks previously. Media bias. This is probably time now for the government to just shut SBS down. Isn't this though the problem that the ABC has been following too? Where neither of these ABC or SBS are meant to be ratings. Like mm. you just mm. read out what you were reading before was the the charter for SBS. Yes, what they're meant to represent. ABC has a very similar one too. And the problem is that those charters don't say, and get a 38% share. Like, yeah, there's nothing in those charters say you have to be popular. And in fact, most of that won't be popular because it's about representing people who aren't represented. However, we seem to have found ourselves in this period in which people need to go, but my money's paying for that, so I need to be able to see, you know, normal white people doing normal white people stuff in English on it. And I, I worry that that's the problem. Is not, it's not that... SBS shouldn't exist. It's just that SBS shouldn't be forced into a position to try and account for itself in a way that then has it relying on buying overseas, uh, buying English but language so, products. So little of my money goes towards SBS too that it is actually negligible. SBS. Well, talk to a talk to a big old liberal, and that won't no, that won't be their uh, opinion on that. But if my if my money anything that's going to SBS or the ABC obviously needs to be cut, and yeah. it should be going to the private sector. And that's the thing. So you end up with these people fighting the private sector to do the opposite of what they're meant to be doing. I don't know. That's what what worries me. Is if you go to uh, England, our vision of the BBC is it's quite shocking when you move to England and realize the BBC one has Buffy on it. You know, and it's it's full of game shows because it's... Mm has to justify itself to the English people to go, here's all the really popular programming. And then if you're lucky, the really interesting avant-garde stuff will happen on BBC Two or now BBC Four. Mm-hmm. You know, and I kind of worry that's what we're pushing now. It's this thing where we're forcing the ABC and SBS to be bland mainstream channels and then we're angry at them and for that. Is, this is a long-standing problem. ABC's been chasing rating, ratings for over two decades. So do we shut it all down? No, no, no. We, we shut down everything. No. We, we need to give them more protection and say, look, make stuff that's good. Don't go chasing ratings. And hopefully in an ideal world, you can have both. I, mean, I think the ABC is being forced, and SBS probably even more so, into this position of trying to account for themselves in a way that actually just makes them less necessary. Fewer necessary. The, uh, <laughs> the, the more we do this show, the more we talk about the, the TV industry the more depressed I get. Like, every news segment, I just get more and more depressed because it's it's a medium that I love and I can see that it's dying and I can see that there is no way... There is no way to save it. I think, I think the only way is to change completely and, and 
changing an entire people's mindset about what to expect from the medium is going to be way too difficult. It's not dying overseas, though. We're still seeing really good content coming through from America in particular. I know, I think we're, we're buying it. Yeah, I know, but that's things... I mean, it's still, it's still possible somewhere. And I think things like um, House of Cards, you know, finally existing. Yes. Um, I've seen the first episode of that. I, I think it's going to go places. But, you know, Netflix basically going, yep, here it is, here's a new model. They're doing a completely new model of television. And by completely new, I mean the thing we've all been doing illegally for a few years now. Mm-hmm. But the fact that they're actually willing to go, look, that's how you want it. We are going to change our model to suit you. And I don't know, maybe maybe it won't work. But so far, it seems to be a very positive response for them. Yeah, and, and I think uh, later on when uh, Resident Development comes out in April, oh, I believe. Let it go, Josh. Let it go. They're it's, never making that happening. thing again. The, they're movie never happening. Making. the movie or the series? The series. The series. The movie's coming later. Okay. Uh, the uh, w- When that happens in, in April and, and they do the same thing where they release the entire show all, all at once, uh, will it have the same impact? Will drama and comedy have the same... Uh, do people have the same appetite for drama and comedy? So is it easy to sit down and watch 13 episodes of Arrested Development in one go, or do you actually get exhausted from, from the laughing? That's oh, a It'll be a bit of both, but I think it's funny because I've had the same, and it's a slight tangent, but um, Community you know, has come back. Watched the first two episodes, got not to good. the third episode, went, you know what, I'm not that fast. I thought I'll wait for the end and then I can watch it on DVD and in a chat and see. Well, I know, I know. My, my secret boyfriend Dan Harmon has gone. But but that thing where I will. You mean you mean your very good friend Dan? My, my very mean Dan Harmon. We're like that. I got pictures. Uh, no, but that thing where I'm I'm still going to watch it. I know eventually, but I don't feel any particular need. And I also know watching it one episode per week puts so much pressure on it to be good. In a way that watching four episodes in a go, it. I can enjoy it more because each episode doesn't have to, to hold up that much weight. It's, it's interesting to see, with, with community, it's interesting to see people clearly trying to do what one person did very well. They're, they're trying to replicate something that is, is almost impossible to, to replicate. I think what we're going to say is, isn't it great that community had three seasons? Oh, no, I always thought that That's, anyway. I thought look, three great seasons... And you never know. It might be they just need to do the thing the American office did. And once they stop trying to be community and become their own thing, they'll become a community that's good. Just on the basis of the two episodes I saw, I thought, I'll wait for that to happen. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't, think, uh, I, I don't think it is. And that is the depressing box cutters news. Hello, I'm Paul Verhoeven from Steampunks, and when I'm not flensing things in the dark, I'm listening to box cutters. Oh yeah, <laughs> Nellie Thomas <laughs> earlier was uh, was saying that she did not know who Paul Verhoeven now is. I do. And now, now I do. Yeah, now I do. No doubt. Yeah, I know the voice. No doubt. Yeah. 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 Welcome, welcome back. Well, thank you. Always nice to have you. Thank you. It's 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 you know always a delight. Very quickly, mm-hmm. Survivor. Oh my God, Survivor fans v favourites. Again, Look, I'm not. Get, hey, yeah. Haven't we done this? We've done this. It's 27th season, dude. They got to rehash <laughs> some shit. Um, I'm not going to go into it too much because I'd like to come back when we're further in because we've only had okay. two episodes. But I will just say, just for the fans, Cochrane, who's <laughs> one of my favourites because it sounds like Cochrane and he's funny. <laughs> Cochrane almost got medivaced out from. Wait for it, sunburn. <laughs> oh. <laughs> it's like, dude, you're on Survivor. If you can't survive sunburn, how are you going to go with the mosquitoes, the broken legs, the emaciation? 
He's just not coping. That's, oh. It's great. It's good TV. You are here, however, because a, a couple of weeks ago you mm. said, you said, I need... I need to speak to people about My Kitchen Rules and MasterChef. I do. The professionals. Well, specifically, I need to speak to these people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. About it. Yeah, no, I understand that. I understand that we are your therapy. I have been diligently watching both, knowing that this was coming up, because I actually hadn't really been watching MasterChef Professional. Evidently, neither is anybody else. Mm -hmm. Um, And I thought that is actually quite interesting as to why that's happening, because... If on face value, MasterChef Professionals is probably as good or even arguably better in terms of uh, the things that people say they love about MasterChef, i.e. it's positive, it's actually about the food, it's actually about skill, you know, it's not just about someone's sob story or all of that kind of stuff. But for some reason, it's just not working. I've got my theories. One, I think there's a bit of overkill. You know, we, we might be a bit masterchef out. Mm-hmm. The other one is... There's no George and there's no Gary. Right, so oh, no, no, none at all. None at all. So it's Marco Pierre White, who mm-hmm. I liked until I Wikipedia'd him and realised who he voted for and now I can't watch him. But that's a whole other thing. Yep. Um, and it's Marco Pierre White and Matt Preston. And, I, you know, I'm mental for Matt. I, love, I would like to be Matt's tasting plate. Let's just get that out there, right? <laughs> but it just doesn't work. Like the dynamic's just not there. You need the kind of... Whatever it is the other two bring, that sort of affability and, you know, sort of cuddly whatever and, you know, critiques and a whole range of things that the other two bring. I think they have a little bit of a master-apprentice kind of relationship that they bring to it. It's just, it's not there and it's just not working. Has the rest of the structure changed at all then? Because you, you think of these things being just a sort of plug-and-play thing, don't you? You go, well, yes. that's, that's it, that's the grid, just plug the people in, it'll be fine. Well, no, it... it the basic structure in terms of the challenges, I haven't watched every episode, but from what I can see, the challenges look very similar, but it is now professionals, right? So these are all professional chefs, ranging in experience. So, I mean, you've got like a 19-year-old, for example, who's like a prodigy, and then there's a guy who's in his 50s who's cooked for the Queen and, you know, all that sort of stuff. And your first question is, well, what are you doing on this TV show? <laughs> but anyway. Hard um, times. Hard times before us all. So you would think that they would have a higher skill level and in some senses they do in that their food knowledge is probably a bit broader. But then the kinds of people who make it to, say, the top 10 in MasterChef anyway have phenomenal food knowledge and phenomenal skills. They might not have, you know, the best cutting skills or whatever, but they'll know how food goes together and they know high-end food. So it doesn't actually... I think the contrast isn't clear either. But isn't you know, that, I mean, yeah, speaking of someone who's never watched any of these shows and mm, clearly never will. Never will. Never will, ever. But isn't that, because you, you've just told me it's a show about professional cooks cooking. Mm. And I keep thinking, well, that's just work. Yeah, Is exactly. It, I mean, isn't that the point that I want to see? I want to see people do the, the Cinderella thing of becoming. That's exactly right. So you haven't got your, you haven't got your transformation. You haven't a story, got a, a, a like a Julie Goodwin going, you know, so-called housewife to chef. You haven't got that. Where's my arc? Where's That's my rags right. to riches? That's but exactly right. John, I'll, I'll contrast that with Top Chef, which uh, is, again, professionals mm. competing against each other for, for a prize. These are people who are not just professional chefs. They are excellent at their job. Mm. And, and the difference there is, yes, these are people doing their job as they're supposed to, but it's that thing of seeing people do what they do really well same people Pe- excel people yeah. who are really good at what they do right yeah. everybody wants to, wants to watch that but they're also driving cars at the same time in a fast way aren't they and stig's there i mean that's that's quite different i think no, top chef n- no no that's 
Is that right? So sticks no, make a cake, and they and they in a fast car. No, that's that's top. It's a that's reasonably top priced cake in a, in a fast. Am I not thinking? That's cake gear. No, that's cake, cake gear. gear. Oh, cake, cake, cake gear. So is is the problem with with Master Chef the professionals that they're not professional enough for us to? Do you know what it is? It's your classic television mistake I think where in the casting and let's that's what it is in the casting of the top 20 what they've done they've got some people exactly as you describe who are brilliant at their job who are like say the 19 year old for example Cassie I think her name was she is clearly going to be a remarkable chef she's going to be a Marco Pierre White like you can tell her skill level at this that age and her knowledge of food is absolutely phenomenal but then they've also put in a couple of people because they wanted diversity or because they wanted a story. As much as they protest oh. and say, no, 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 it's actually about the food. They have tried to, have to cast for both. It's something, you know, there's got to be a sob story or there's got to be a colourful personality. There was one woman on, I'm terrible with names, so I can't remember her name, but English woman, Tracy, I think it was, who just wasn't very good. And it was just completely unbelievable that she would have made it into the top 20. But she was really annoying. So I can only assume that the producers have gone, she'll really piss some people off, and that'll keep them watching. Ages you know? ago, I saw a casting thing for a reality show. I can't remember what it was. Mm. Um, but the thing I thought was fascinating is that they, they were looking for personalities who were, I'm sure they used the words, engaging and obnoxious yes. together as if they meant the same, same thing, thing, which I thought yeah. was bizarre. To them, yeah. obnoxious and engaging was the same thing. Well, engaging for some TV audience is obnoxious, and taking us on to MKR... The, obviously, the ratings for that are phenomenal. I threw the roof. And this, is, this is a show that I don't understand because I'm not, I'm not home a lot. Yeah. And so whenever I turn it on, there are different people. People. All, yeah. all the time. What, what is going on in this show? Can well, they you... might be killing the golden goose that laid the egg or whatever that thing is because I've never watched MKR before. This is the first time I've watched it. But from what I can gather previously, what they would do, they'd get a group of six. So they get six couples or five couples. You go around to their house. They cook. Whoever's at the bottom gets eliminated. Then they do it again, and it's state by state. They do it twice. This time they did that and then went, oh, surprise. The bottom three are actually going to cook off against some intruders or interlopers. Or they've got some, you know, super-duper mm. word. Um, so they're going a third round. And even me, and I love it. I absolutely love this show. I think it's really good television. But even I'm kind of going, oh, enough already. You know, too many new people. Too many kind of things to take in, too much going on, you're flogging it, like settle down. Um, having said that, I think part of the reason MasterChef is suffering too is because they really have got, aside from what I've just said, they really have got the formula right on MKR in the sense of it's got a good mix of if you're a foodie, the food side of it's really interesting. But also if you're a people watcher, some might call it voyeuristic, some might say it's a sociological experiment, depends how educated you are. Uh, it's got that element beautifully and that's why it rates well because you see inside other people's lives. You see in their house, what did they choose to cook, what do they wear, what sort of car have they got, like just even basic things like that that you don't get on MasterChef. So this is one evening when I did happen to be home, mm. I was flicking between the two, mm. trying to work out, A, why they're up against each other, and, and yep. B, why would people they're very watch different shows, actually. MKR, to me, seemed to be about judging. It is, it is yeah. about the people watching, judging the people on screen. Screen, yep. And, uh, and, mm. and MasterChef seemed to be about 
not knowing where the remote control was so you could flick it over to Channel 7. <laughs> so the, there, is, there is nothing in, in MasterChef. But my, my Kitchen Rules did seem to be about uh, the, the people watching having uh, superiority over the people on, on screen. Um, I Well, I'd say yes and no. I mean, I definitely think they they foreground the human aspects, a.k.a. the personalities or characters, whatever you want to call them, much more than, say, a MasterChef does. It is definitely as much about the personalities as it is about the food, and that's the best thing and the worst thing about it because it can be really tacky and it can be just an excuse for superiority and judgment and all the rest of it. But it can also be like, oh, that guy just made basil ice cream. I reckon I could do that. One interesting thing, I don't know if any of you have heard the controversy, but there's been significant controversy around MKR because they've been accused of racist casting. I was going to ask you this because, again, not seen it, but my Twitter feed, and by that I mean Adam Richard, goes crazy. (laughs) And and seems to, to tweet it on a on a second by second basis. basis. Yes, and it strikes me that there seems to be this Indian couple, uh, mm. there's two Indian women in there who who seem very much to be there for people to hate, and I find that quite uncomfortable. That there yes. seems to be deliberately this Jesse and Bizwa. Well, it's quite interesting, as you would all know from my history on box, box cutters and just knowing me. I am a racist. I'm ready you for this. Just so you hate, just you hate just other just nationalities. I am Djangoing just... up. That's what I am. <laughs> but I am definitely on the lookout. You know, if there's going to be a PC Nazi in this studio, it's going to be me. And I, I don't agree. Uh, can, can, I don't agree I just, with that. Sorry, can I just point out you yeah. did say PC Nazi? Yeah, I know. Yeah, all right. Yeah, yeah. I've just, got it. Yeah. It was for you. Thanks. Um, I don't. I heard on the radio a, a commentator the other day talking about basically because the the latest couple, well, they're not a couple, but the latest friends who we don't like. You know, there's always villains in in reality shows. Are an Asian two Asian girls, and he was saying because there'd been the two Indian girls who'd been hated, and then there's two Asian girls that's had that that's racist casting. I just don't see it like that. My view is that it, maybe it's a bit of an eye of beholder, but. When I watch it, I just go, oh, God, you're assholes. But do you don't think it's deliberately they've chosen No, I really don't because there are actually significant numbers of other people who are not of either of those nationalities. In fact, you know, Anglo-Australian, you know, there was a mother and daughter from Bustleton, for example, who were by far more hated, the most hated out of everyone. And in previous seasons, they've had, you know, they had two Anglo-gay guys from... Um, Queensland, who were really wealthy, one of them was the villain. They're, you know, like the kind of whoever the villain is doesn't seem to me to be dependent on their identity. It's just you're just not a nice person. Yeah, John, they could you know they, they could be Asian, poor, <laughs> or gay. That's right. Yeah. The captions, the, the the descriptions of the teams mm. in uh, in MKR. I find oh they're hilarious. So, real yeah. housewives. So real housewives. There, there are two. There are two who are real housewives. Yeah. So clearly modelling themselves after the heinous people on yeah. on those shows. Yeah. Well, actually, see again with those two, and I thought you know your first impressions. I thought oh you're not going to be my people, but I love them. But basically because they call everyone on their bullshit, and I don't think they they would be self described real housewives. I think that's a producer thing of kind of going. They're really, you know, manicured, sort of fluffy, you know, very thin, big-haired um, ladies who love a lot of pink. Oh, that's what they are. So, the, you the, know, so, so there is inherent 
uh, class judgment in in the show, or well, the, or sociological judgment. In oh, the show. absolutely. I mean, my one criticism, my big criticism of the show, is that there is not enough class diversity. This is what I find interesting about the discussion about racism. I would like to see them go into someone's house who doesn't have chasseur cookware, who doesn't have quail in the freezer, you know, who doesn't have like a eight hundred dollar mix master or a dining room that can seat fifteen people. Like if you're going to say we're peeking into that the lives of Australians, then show me some bloody two-minute noodles and a can of soup and what can you do with that? Yeah, and pe- people who have to sit sit on a couch and yeah, eat, eat that's right, on exactly. That you, particularly around the, the cookware that they have. I mean, they get given knives. They get given a set of professional knives, fair enough. But the stuff these people have, like one, there was a, um, two women on last week, they had their own meat slicer. Like, they didn't just have a mincer, you know, and an ice cream maker and every other bloody gadget. And they had their, that's like they had their own deli, you know, <laughs> in their kitchen, made their own sausages with, you know, through their own sausage maker and all this kind of stuff. I mean, that's, that is not, it's bullshit to pretend that that is a snapshot of Australia because mm. clearly even most of us middle class twats don't have that much stuff. You know, so so at the same time as being judgmental, it's also middle class aspirational. Oh, absolutely! But so all these food shows are. I mean, how many people realistically are going to spend literally three hours making their own sausages when you can walk down to you know Hell's Meats and go have a couple of those things? I mean, that, it's just not going to happen. Having said that, I'm always, as we've discussed before, particularly around MasterChef um, and the Jamie Oliver food revolution, all that kind of stuff. I do think that it does encourage people to cook. And I think that's a good thing. Like, I think there is some truth to... There's a lot of hysteria around food and all that stuff, but there is some truth to the idea that a lot of those skills have been lost and that we shouldn't be shoving chicken nuggets in the in the oven. And you do learn some basic skills, whether it's something like hey, even just how to make bread because they have to make everything from scratch. Oh, okay. So, so they, they can't even... They can't even- buy bread and they can't buy pasta. They no, can't. they can't. One couple actually used a curry sauce out of a jar. And this is where it gets ridiculous, but I find it quite funny. Oh, my God. You would think it was the Nuremberg Trials. Seriously. <laughs> like, it was so fun. And every, the comments, oh, I can't believe it. If he thinks he's in a cooking competition, that's not cooking. It's opening a jar. You know, it just it went on. And, like, he had committed the most horrible crime known to humankind. Whereas he's just like, I kind of ran out of time. <laughs> and just, you know, just like everyone else does, you know. Um, but it's really, it's really entertaining. Do you care who wins? Not really, not yet. But that's because there's 312 contestants. Right. Like it hasn't been whittled down yet. Oh, still. Yeah. So um, that's my kitchen rules. In terms of MasterChef, I haven't been invested enough in it. So I, I don't really care. That guy who bosses everyone else around. I Marco reckon, Pierre Yeah, White. I reckon he's going to win. Uh, Nellie Thomas, mm. What Women Want. Yes. Available in bookshops. What Women Want, Kitchen Rules, apparently. The yeah, new yeah. Fidel. Pa- apparently. Yeah, it's still available in bookshops, yeah. People should buy it, read they it. They should. Read it. Find they should. Out, Why not? Find out about you find and out. about women in general. And more about my love of Survivor. Yeah. There is, of course, a dedicated section. Why wouldn't there be? Lover. Why wouldn't there be? What else would I talk about? We'll we'll find an online store and uh, and include a link on uh, on, on the blog. Thank you so much for for coming in and telling tell us about the world of reality television. You it's watch it so pleasure. we don't have to. Yeah. Well, Kardashians next. Yay. <laughs>
John Richards Girls season two has started. Yes. And we find ourselves once again in a, a sea of coverage about whether or not Lena Dunham is a genius. Well, this is this is yeah. Okay, I want to have a little bit of a rant because we've been asked to talk about it more, and um, Courtney's already put her hand up, going me 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 me. So so Courtney's going to do most of the big girls thing next that, week. That'll happen next week. Um, but I haven't kind of had a chance to do much of the girls' discussion on this show, uh, and I came to it through this show. I was never going to watch it except for the review that you guys did. Mm. I went, actually, that sounds really good. And here's the thing: when I really like a show. I like to watch the show and then maybe go online and read a review, which might tell me more about what I've seen. It might, it might open, open some insights I didn't know or explain something I wasn't aware of, cultural references, you know, things like that. Uh, Mad Men, for example. There's the Alan Seppamall uh, reviews, which are very good. Of that, mm-hmm. There's the AV Club reviews. And they'll often tell you stuff you didn't know about it. So that's great. Girls, if I watch an episode and it's really interesting, I go online, I will read nothing but discussion about whether or not Lena Dunham should have her tits out. And that's pretty much it. Or whether Lena Dunham should be allowed to take her clothes off. Or what kind of wanker Lena Dunham must be for doing this show. Or, yeah, and it's like, and occasionally I think, I would really like to see someone talk about the thing I just watched. And yes, I'm aware of the irony that I've come on to complain that people basically aren't talking about the show, but are talking about talking about the show, which is what I'm doing. But it's just, I find it so frustrating. Here's this show that's being immensely talked about, and yet, Virtually no one is talking about the content. Uh-huh. And as a good example this year, Marnie, who's become a favourite, who would have thought, has had this amazing storyline. I think she, her character was basically released at the end of the last series when it was kind of revealed that everyone was trapped in how we were kind of seeing them as focused through the eyes of Hannah. And it meant that everyone was kind of trapped in these roles she had chosen for them. And this year I think is more about these people being who they really are, which in Marnie's case is realising she doesn't know and it's been really interesting. I've seen virtually no discussion of Marnie or Marnie's storyline. Like this sort of just because that's not Lena Dunham getting her tits out, so we can't discuss whether or not she's allowed to do that. And it just seems weird that for a show with this intensity of feeling, it's like it's being covered by Who Weekly. It's like no one is actually trying to look at the content. Bob Ellis wrote a piece about girls this week. I know, I know. <laughs> Marie Cardi's dog. Let's just <laughs> let's just listen to that sentence out loud again. Bob Ellis wrote a piece about girls this week, and clearly I was terrified. I was not going to look, and then eventually today I gave in. I looked. Bob Ellis wrote about the show. Bob Ellis actually wrote about what was happening in the show. Mostly, it's just a recap, really, and he gets the names of the characters wrong. But it's still, <laughs> the fact that. Bob Ellis, who I thought would just write a piece about Lena Dunham's tits, actually managed to write a quite thoughtful and respectful and obviously deeply admiring piece about girls. I thought, Bob Ellis can do it. <laughs> you know, it's like, Bob can do it. So this is my question, I think, going to the room. Why are people not actually talking about girls? Why are we talking around girls and not talking about girls? Remember, uh, you know, because I'm, I'm always quick to come in with an opinion about other people. <laughs> Remember when uh, you and I were talking about uh, about Outland and one of the reasons I, I think it didn't work was because it forced people to be introspective and learn a little bit about themselves while looking at people on, on television. Mm-hmm. I think Girls is the same way. I think Girls... For forces, I think girls is the same way. 
That's a terrible sentence. I should point out to you, when you said Outland didn't work, you didn't mean artistically, because it's triumph. No. You actually meant just as far as people I mean, watching as, it. As far as pe- people watching it goes. It, it, it worked. is available on DVD. It worked, it worked amazingly. I bought two copies. Uh, <laughs> the, you've got to eat, John. <laughs> got to eat those two you've copies. You've got to eat those two copies. <laughs> I'm using them as plates. Uh, no, I'm not. Anyway, anyway. but girls, which weirdly enough, I actually agree. I think Outland and girls have a lot of stuff in common, weirdly enough. The, but go on. Uh, they... So, so this is this is a show that forces people to look at their own lives and be aware of their own feelings, their own emotions. It is, I, I think I, I said this last year, one, one of the most honest shows I've seen on television, definitely from from American television, but on television in a very long time, if forever. It, just as far as the way real people think, it, it, it's kind of a. In the way that we were brought up with a John Hughes level of instant understanding, uh, and we just thought that we could uh, categorise ourselves as John Hughes characters, I think now we're being represented on, on television as humans with varied emotions who do things that aren't always right all the time and nothing really ever works out and we just go from uh from problem to problem to problem it is a very difficult thing for people who are used to just talking about how funny something was or uh what cocktail don draper drank which is a difficult sentence to say uh to, to then, or as Australian television critics tend to do, talk about why a show reminds them of their own childhood. No one cares. This show forces people to think about how people actually act. Therefore, they shy away from that and go to the one thing that everybody knows they can have in common, which is Lena Dunham has a pair of tits that you don't often see on television. They are not filled out. They are oddly shaped compared to a body by comparison to the women that we see on uh, pretty much every other show. Uh, And yet we see them. So let's talk about them because tits, we can all talk about tits. I don't know. Maybe maybe it is an unreviewable show. I also have a bit of an argument that maybe comedy in general is unreviewable. Not that I put girls particularly as a comedy, but... Maybe maybe there's a show there's just not much to say, and so people want to talk about it. And they're going to talk about tips. And I think I, I think you're. Uh, I, I, I've said this. I've said this to you privately. I, I think your uh, comedy is unreviewable. Uh, argument is bullshit, and I think it's the same. The sa- same with girls. Both of these things are entirely reviewable if you dig deeply enough, and it takes. It, it, it takes an understanding of, of the medium and humanity beyond a superficial level to be able to review these things properly. Comedy is, is one of the most, uh, probably one of the deepest levels of, of understanding of, of human psyche. If you can get comedy to work, you understand whether that is innate or, or planned, how humans work in such a very specific way. Mm-hmm. Uh, none of this is impossible to verbalise. It just takes a lot of work. And it's the same with the complexity of, of emotions in in girls. And it is easy uh, for, and we'll talk more about episode five uh, of this season 
next week. But it is very easy for people just to go, well, that was a self-indulgent episode. Or oh, is this the one she spends a couple of days with the Doctor? That's yeah. no, it. That is a phenomenal piece of writing. Uh, it's a beautifully constructed episode. Weirdly, probably more like Mad Men than anything else they've ever done in Girls. But again... To me, that made so much sense, and and you know, if uh, I can do the Australian thing and you know, find a point in my childhood, it reminded me of. Mm-hmm. I I found most debate was kind of whether or not Hannah would get a guy that hot. That was what the most entire online, uh, I mean, not online, entire discussion generally was about. That I'm going hell. I was a chubby twenty two year old, and yeah, I pretty much had that experience because you were twenty two, like you were young, you had a power, you had you had a certain power that an older, much more attractive man. Is still good. He's attractive, but he's older. You're less attractive. You're younger. Youth has power. That has power. It was all about both of them looking for something they didn't have. And beautifully done, I thought. And yeah, and there's virtually no discussion about what actually happened in the text. Yeah, because people are just, I think they are just too frightened to look inside themselves and work out why they hated something or why they loved something. It's because people are shallow, fickle, and deserve no uh, sympathy. This is such a depressing episode of Box Cutters, isn't it? <laughs> maybe, uh, maybe we can lighten it up with the next segment. If you watch one thing. Brett Crowley, if you're going to watch one thing this week, what would it be? Just because I'm curious, I'm going to check out ABC2 on Thursday night at uh, 9.30 for Please Like Me. I think that looks pretty good. There's been a couple of clips released so far, and in both cases I've gone... That looks pretty good. What, and is, what, what is what is what is this? It's Josh Thomas. Am I am I yep. right in saying Josh Thomas? Because yep. all those young comedians look the same to me. <laughs> um, it's Josh Thomas's show. Um, it's about a guy with a family and some friends and stuff. Um, but it's directed by Matt Saville, who has done oh. much much fabulousness in this country. So that's uh, that's yep. Thursday night, Thursday ABC night. two, twenty eighth of Feb, ABC two. So that's the night that this comes out. You do you do realize that? Is so it is tonight. it repeated? It's tonight. Is it? Uh, It'll be on It's I a double view. episode too. Can, you, you can catch up on our view. It says on yeah. the. Uh, Stop there. listening now. Watch that show, unless it's been on already. In which case, just I watch view. it on our view. view. Yeah. John, if you're going to watch one thing, um, well, do you know because because the Splendid Chaps thing, which I'll plug a bit later, I've been watching nothing but Doctor Who, and you know there comes a point which that becomes quite tiring. But uh, who would have known? Who would have known it was possible? Uh, but I will probably say uh, uh, Dr. Blake's murder mystery, Wonderthon Wonderfalls. I, I, I forget what the show's called. I know Dr. Blake is in the title. Uh, the, the, the Craig McLaughlin Hello Box. The Craig McLaughlin Hello Box is, is I am really enjoying. Um, yeah, it's funny. I, I, I was not sure. When I first watched it, the second episode in particular I thought was very clever. The third episode had great plotting. It's got good plots. The plots actually are interesting and make sense. Which, for that kind of show in this country, is perhaps unusual. <laughs> so it's, um, it's quite nice to actually not be able to spot who the whodunit is 10 minutes into the program. You can, you can spot it though about 60 seconds before it happens, which is my, my absolute perfect zone for that kind of program. I want the audience to be clever enough to be smug. To go, oh, it's clearly that guy just before the lead character. It's it. that guy. Yeah. Any more than 60 seconds, you think the lead character's stupid. But if he gets it just after you, you feel pretty good. Who would win in a fight between Dr. Blake and Miss Fisher? She'd probably win, but she'd cheat. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Mm. So, did you get the time there? 
Friday. 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 It's on Friday. ABC <laughs> One Friday night at 8.30. If I was going to watch one thing this week, it would be on Saturday night on ABC One, the repeat of Sean McAuliffe's Mad as Hell, because I always miss it the first time around. And uh, and then I can always catch it up again on the uh, on the Saturday. When is it on first? I don't know. I've got it written down here. It's uh, Saturday nights, ten fifteen p.m. You ABC only one. watch the repeat. I only you watch the repeat. You refuse to watch it first. I, time, right? I, I like other people to taste it before I get there. I know it was it's Friday poison? nights uh, in the first season. There, I think it's Thursday nights. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure it's possibly Thursday Check nights. Check your local guides. Might be Wednesday night comedy night. Who knows? Who knows? It's a night. On top. Brenna Courtney Glazebrook. Hello. What delights can you bring us from the things what we said that made you think of other things that then essentially this is essentially this is a segment of tangents. Yeah. What tangents can you bring us? The things what you said. Um, oh well, just because we were just speaking about girls, I'll very quickly bring it up. There's an amazing Vulture article titled "Don't Call." Lena Dunham brave because there is a lot of mention of um, you know people saying oh she's disgusting her body should not be allowed you know in my eyeballs um, to be seen by my eyeballs not in my eyeballs and because that is too um, close that would, that would be that would be, be unsettling be, be, yeah. I would you know what I would tweet about that yeah. <laughs> get Lena Dunham's tits that. directly out of my eyes and a little bit further they away where I can pointy. see them they're a little pointy um, but there's been a lot of people finding that going she's so brave she's so brave for you know putting her body out there like that and it's like oh, it's actually she's not like she's completely in control of this she she's the writer she's the producer she's the director she's not brave she's not, no one's holding a gun to her head and saying you need to get naked in front of the camera um, also she looks like a normal human being oh she does and, and the fact that everyone's kind of like oh my god a normal human yeah. being oh they're yeah, so that's... brave I can't believe she even leaves the house like <laughs> Wow, brave, so brave. Um, see, it's it's an insult to women everywhere with normal bodies, really. And so there's an amazing article on Vulture called Don't Call Lena Dunham Brave, and I'd highly recommend reading it. Now, at the very start of the show, you guys were talking about content, just well, just content within, uh, you know, um, our media. And it was brought to my attention, actually, on the old Facebook. Uh, my friend who is a screenwriter, and she makes lots of, beautiful short films, um, that there's been this um, Senator Stephen Conroy who's commissioned an independent review to... Conroy. Conroy. Ah, I'm shaking my fist for those of you who can't see at home. Um, check how effective our current media and communication laws are. And there's this thing uh, called Recommendation 18, um, which insisted on a 50% increase in levels of Australian drama, documentaries and children's television to happen. Um, but, of course, that's actually not happening at all. It's being completely ignored. Um, so you can sign a petition at www.communityrun.org. Um, I'll give the link to you, Josh, because it's a rather rather long one. Um, basically, it's just there is a chance that, you know, the um, all of our stuff, all of our Australian content is just going to be made up of news, sport and repeats of reality television. So it'll mean goodbye to new Australian dramas and goodbye to Australian jobs and, you know, actors. And um, I was actually speaking to a friend of mine uh, who works in SBS and we were talking about the new SBS 2 the other day because he's a young, um, handsome uh, man in touch with the Generation Y. Is and he a thinking 30s? <laughs> yeah, he is actually, he uh. really is. He's like the embodiment of 
of who SBS would want to be watching their program. Oh, he's already there. They're done. Oh, yeah, done. exactly. <laughs> tick, tick, tick. Mission accomplished. And um, and he was saying uh, they were going for like a bit of a HBO style, like, you know, that kind of sort of getting, taking more chances and putting anything up and, you know, how HBO is kind of, it's the, um, uh, what's the right word? The um, cable, the cable network. So there's really, there's less producers going you can't say that and you know scrapping bits and pieces so that's exciting that that's really exciting if they are actually going to loosen the reins a little bit um and uh, and it was interesting that you're saying before john about you know they're going to put community on sbs too and you know isn't that just essentially like a commercial television program and i feel with community i feel it falls into the same category as arrested development in the sense that Arrested Development was first shown on commercial television, but it was just aired at all these irregular times and nobody picked up on it. And I feel ever since, you know, then people realised they could download it or they could buy it from JB Hi-Fi or whatever, and, and then it just exploded. And I feel that the community had the same reaction. And so I don't I don't think the community is a is like a commercial television program. I, I think of it more as a cult comedy. I know it's huge. It's a big cult. It's a big community cult that... I still don't think it's kind of as mainstream as maybe some people do think, but that's that's just that's just my opinion. Um, and uh, and Nelly was talking before about um, My Kitchen Rules and um, the other one I can't even remember. Um, <laughs> Master Chef the Professional. Master Chef the Professional. See Channel Ten, obviously. <laughs> can't even remember the name of it. Um, but I thought, what are some reality television shows that because we've had them all before. Um, we need some new ones. So I looked up about, I looked up some other reality television mm-hmm. shows and I found three, three great ones, which I think we should start pitching to Channel 10. Um, the first one is Bridal Plasty. Um, <laughs> oh, this is, this is a, this is a terrible, wonderful show. Yeah. Terrible, wonderful. Terrible, exactly wonderful. Right. Terribly wonderful. It, where brides to be compete in wedding related challenges to see who can win plastic surgery. And those who don't win have to have their normal face on their big day. Oh, horrific. No makeup. No yeah, hair. no makeup. Oh, God. <laughs> I, I, think it's, I actually think week by week they get another bit of plastic surgery added so that the, the, the one who wins gets all the plastic surgery. Yeah, right. And the runners-up just get plastic surgery up, up to... But they, they are sequestered from their partners the entire time. <laughs> Uh, so well, that's got to be good for their well, the relationship. La- the last challenge is he has to be able to pick them out from a lineup. Yeah. <laughs> he has to be able to, be able to yeah. pick them out. They they line her up next to the bride on top of the wedding cake, and yeah. he has to, he has to, he has out to figure out which is which. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so I'm it is a terrible and you know scarily wonderful show. I would watch that. I would watch that a hundred times a day. Um, there's one called The Littlest Groom, which is basically The Bachelor, but he's a midget. So because small people need love too. Um, that was cancelled after two shows. Surprise, surprise. Um, and this is my favourite. This is this is utterly, brilliantly distasteful. It's called "Who's Your Daddy?" Uh, oh, we, we we mentioned this at Acme. I think. Go on. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, on this show, a woman who was adopted was put in a room with twenty five with twenty five older men. One of them is her real father. Uh, she picks out her real daddy. She can win. Uh, $100,000, but if she picks the imposter, then that man will win the money. Because and- I went trying to find a clip for this. <laughs> one of the, one of, one of, we, we did uh, the show When Television Goes Wrong and Acme, yeah. and I wanted to show a clip from it. 
And I found one clip eventually, which is from one of the actors who she, I think, chose as her dad, but wasn't. Oh. And he's got up as part of his showreel going, oh, and here's this great bit where I was this show, and look, I was so convincing. She thought I was a dad. And people are going, oh, my God, you monster. How could you live with <laughs> yourself? And he clearly hadn't even thought that bit through. Like, it hadn't occurred to him that that, oh, that was at all. No. I, was, I, I hear the premise of, of that show, and I just think of Freddy Krueger. And uh, and and his mother and the ten thousand maniacs. Oh, that's that- horrendous. That is horrendous. Let us not speak of this, Josh. Can now. I mention another reality show I was reading about the other day? It's a Dutch. Um, I forget. It's quite recent. It's called something like the Donor Show, and <laughs> it was basically three people who desperately needed an organ transplant. No. Uh, were up with a woman who had turned terminal illness, but would have like I can't remember what it, what it was. It was kidneys, whatever would have a spare one they could have if they could convince her that they should be the one that she would give her her donorship. Now, in the lead up to the whole thing, there was like people were picketing the TV station and saying, you can't do this. This is disgraceful. This is outrage. Especially a country like, you know, like Holland, where they're they're kind of good on that whole human rights thing. Uh, And so but it it went ahead um, with all this protest going on. And halfway through, they they revealed it's a hoax program. It's because uh, there was a desperate need for organ donors in Holland. And to bring attention to it, they had these people. The woman was an actor. She wasn't dying. But the three people desperately did need... They they were genuinely... So they were bringing their plight to to the public so that the public were aware of the need for organ donors. in and not necessarily for them as individuals. They were all in it. Everyone in the program was in on it. But just to point out that this was a thing the country needed. And apparently the next day, 300,000 people uh, wrote away to get details about how to become an organ donor. How much of that went, you know, becomes a real thing eventually? Yeah. I don't know. But it was actually someone using shock reality TV tactics yeah. to try and make the world a better place. Wow. I was just thinking is nothing sacred, but then we had a warm and fuzzy ending where... Yeah, no, I mean, the yeah. three people still died they agonizing still died. death. Yeah. But, yeah, but, but you know, every, they were on telly. Everyone dies, <laughs> yeah, though. They, they got to be on telly. They got <laughs> their own dressing room, which is the most important <laughs> thing, as they went out in style. Everyone dies, Brenna. They just got there quicker. <laughs> yeah, they had their five minutes of fame. Well, Bre- <laughs> Bre- to 15. Brenna, thank you very much for those cherries. Oh, you're more than welcome, Josh. You can pluck them from my tree anytime. <laughs> no, just stop it. You two, get a room. Just very quickly. Uh, Splendid Chaps. Splendid Chaps. Me and Ben McKenzie doing a new live podcast slash panel thing. Uh, I describe it more as a nerdy tonight show. It's to celebrate 50 years of Doctor Who. Once a month, we are doing a live event where we discuss one specific Doctor's era and a bigger issue involving the show. We end with a song, because that's what you do on a tonight show. That's nice. Yeah, so far, Geraldine Quinn was our, our first uh, show. We've had Dina Curie in the second. We've got a choir coming up later in the year. Oh. Seriously, it's awesome. Um, uh, so, yeah, if, you, if you're a Doctor Who fan at all, it is so much fun. And the next one is <gasps> oh, oh, March oh. 10th. In Adelaide at Tuxedo Cat um, with New York Times bestseller Sean Williams as our guest, and we'll be doing the Pertwee era and looking at the concept of family. Josh is having some sort of weird breakdown right now, but I'm going to keep going. And Comedy Festival. <laughs> We're doing two shows for Comedy Festival as well, looking at the Fourth Doctor and comedy, and people like Paul Verhoeven and Adam Richard and Dave Callan. It's going to be amazing. There's a Dalek. Uh, come along. It'll be brilliant. What is it, Josh? What, what do you need to tell the class? The Choir of Hard Docs! So come along to Splendid Chaps. Um, you'll find all the information at splendidchaps.com. Oh, come on. That was better than that. <laughs> Choir of Hard Docs. Choir of Hard Knocks. Yeah, yeah. Choir of Hard yeah, Docs. Yeah, yeah. Doctor Who. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs>
<laughs> sometime later on, uh, pr- probably in a month, uh, I'll I'll be on a new podcast as well. Uh, it's called The Nudge. It's going to be about design. It's going to be about being better designers. Will you be a better designer while you're on it, or are you just making the others be better? Design- Is it like a reality <laughs> game show? It's- it's yeah. It's it's watch me try and become a better designer. Uh, no, it's it's uh, it, pe- people sit around and, and talk about uh, issues in the design world and uh, ways that we can become better designers. Uh, there'll be more details later about mm-hmm. that, but I just, just want to put that out there. Yeah, because then it will actually happen. Oh, Nellie Thomas as well also has comedy festival gigs she, and whatnot. She she does. She's uh, she's doing political asylum uh, as part of the comedy festival. Details uh, about that on the blog at boxcutters.net where you can also find out all of the show notes from this episode. Uh, I've written them down this time, so they'll be there. And uh, and all the things that we said we would link to, they will all be available for you at boxcutters.net slash episode 330. Brenna, are you doing a gig? Yeah, I just realised I had something that I needed to plug and I put my <laughs> little hand up like a schoolgirl. Um, we're doing a, uh, I'm part of an improvised comedy group called The Big Hoo-Ha and we're actually doing um, a fundraising gig uh, this Thursday the 28th. Um, one of our very, very, very brave players, Siobhan, is shaving her head, shave for, shave for a cure. So all of the money that we raise that night is going towards her shave for a cure and she won't be shaving her head live on stage but I'm sure we'll have photo evidence of it at some point. Why isn't she doing it live on stage? That makes more sense. I don't know. I would love to. Impro it. Impro it into a scene. (laughs) (laughs) That's my improing clippers. Um, Yeah, that'd be so awesome if we could do some Sinead O'Connor kind of impro-inspired scene with her shaving her head. Get someone to dress up as the Pope and shave her head. That'd be like a weird Sinead O'Connor kind of Pope kind of... He's resigned. He's become a barber. um, (laughs) That brings us us to the end. You got a comedy festival gig, Brett? Brett, you got a comedy festival gig? Nothing I'm putting on. No. No, not this year. Oh, can I just say 8pm at the Portland Hotel in the city on Thursday the 28th. Thank you. Thursday the tw- 28th of February? Yes. What? Yes. 28th of February. Until next week, my name is Josh Canal. I'm John Richards. I'm Brenna Courtney Glazebrook. I continue to be Brett Cropley. Thanks for listening to Box Cutters Catches again next week. Same bad time, same bad channel. And hey, let's be careful out there. Cutters is produced by Josh Canal with Brett Cropley and John Richards and help from Courtney Hocking and Dave Lawson. John Richards edited this episode. Peter Wilson from Soup Giant is the man behind making sure you can actually download stuff. He's good that way. We'd like to thank 3RRR, the greatest radio station in the world, for letting us use their studios to record this podcast. Find them on the web at rrr.org.au or 102.7 FM if you listen to radio the old-fashioned way. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can show your appreciation by leaving a positive review on iTunes or maybe just telling some friends what they're missing out on. You can also donate actual cash money to us by using the donate button at the top of our website. Donating helps keep the show alive and makes us smile. Our website is boxcutters.net and you can find all sorts of ways to contact us there. John? Yeah? Don't cut this bit out. Okay. Because we've got a very special surprise right here at the end. Mm-hmm. Hi, this is Pete Smith. You've been listening to or have just missed Box Cutters.